0: Mark 5, verse 1, we're going to go three verses backwards into Mark 4, because I want you to see what's going on. So we're in verse 39 of Mark 4. This is when Jesus calms the storm, and it says in 39, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still... No faith, And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing on your word today. We ask your blessing on this service. Lord, we thank you that we're privileged to be able to worship you in spirit and truth. We're privileged to come with our brothers and sisters in Christ and worship you together, serve you together, minister to one another. And Father, I ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We wanna look into your word, Lord, and see what it says to us. So, Lord, open our hearts to receive your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you would illuminate your word and open our eyes to what is there and what you would have us see. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your work in us. Continue it on, we pray. Amen. Now, the reason I had us back up a couple of verses is because I think it's important when we're looking at the biblical text to make sure we always keep in mind the context and the surrounding things that are going on. Um, because if we're not careful, if we hone in on too small of a section, we can actually miss the flow of thought. We can miss different things going on in the text. Um, In fact, um, Mark's favorite word, do you know what Mark's favorite word is? It's and. I think I heard someone say it, actually. Um, Depending on what version you're using, you can see this uh, pretty clearly. Now, I'll point it out to you in Chapter 5, but I don't want you going looking right now um, because I want you listening to me. (laughs) So save that for your quiet times. But look in Mark 5, and you can see... Um, At the beginning of many verses, he begins it with the word and. Verse 2, and, verse 6, and, verse 7, and, verse 9, and, verse 10, and, verse 12, and, verse 15, and, 16, 17, 19, 20, 21, 23, 24, 25, 26. No, I'm not counting numerically, okay. A lot of ands. Why? Because Mark is wanting to tell a continual story. And he is leading us in a direction with his story. This is one of the stops in his story. But this story is a continuation of the previous story. There's continuity to it. And so you need to picture the scene that the disciples have just had this crazy adventure on the sea where they're freaking out, and Jesus is asleep, and they have to wake him up, and then he basically like rebukes them. And, like, don't you have faith? Why are you guys afraid? And it says they were filled with great fear. Great fear. So they finally um, hit land, right? And they're thinking, thank Yahweh. Thank the Lord. Like, we've hit land. Like, the sea part is over and, and, and we're good here, right? No, but then verse 2 says, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Okay? So they go, they go from this crazy scene on the sea where they get to see Jesus display his power, um, and then they land, and it's like, wow, boom. The next thing is coming upon them immediately. So this demon-possessed man um, comes up to him. Um, he's naked. He's bloodied because he's been cutting himself. Um, he has this amazing strength. He probably looks quite disheveled. And the way that the Greek phrases it, when he comes running up to them, he's like howling or screaming, just like nonsense. So as as soon as they hit the land, I mean, this guy's coming up, and and the disciples have to be going, oh my goodness, what in the world is going on here? Um, So Jesus starts to interact with this man. What's one of the first things you do when you meet someone? You usually introduce yourself, um, and then you ask them for their name, right? While well, the demons already knew who Jesus was, Jesus, more probably as a formality, asks um, who this person is, and the response is, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, a Roman legion back then would have had 6,000 soldiers and 120 horsemen, along with other technical personnel. Uh, What is the message that these demons are trying to communicate here to Jesus? I mean, the idea is great numbers, efficient organization, and relentless strength. Basically, like, bring it on. And there is no doubt that Satan has power and is willing to use it. And there's a couple times when you look through the scriptures, um, the temptation of Jesus... um, Peter, when he takes Jesus aside and, and starts, what are you talking about, dying on this cross and, and things like that? There's a couple of times where I think we see Satan taking um, one of his best shots that he can. Um, Judas, obviously, at the end, right? But I actually think this is one of those places. Is this, this, there's like, you know, Jesus is dealing with demons continually, but, but this one is unique because it's like there's more than one involved. And he's, he's introducing himself as, as legion. So this is what Jesus has to deal with. And actually, he, he does it pretty quickly, doesn't he? I mean, it's not long, drawn out. It's just like, boom, it's, it's like over. Um, even depending on how you read it, uh, by the time he's asking him his name, that actually, he might have already been cast out, these demons. So they say, take your best shot, and, and Jesus is like, okay. And it's like, you know... It's like the fight is over before it begins. A couple notes. The demons here are subject to Jesus, right? They have to listen to what he says. He says, Come out. They come out. Um, they want to uh, not have to leave the country, it says. It says in 10. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country, right? So they're not telling Jesus, we're not leaving. No, they're begging him, right? Then they're like, oh, these pigs, how about these pigs over here? Like, really, guys, you're that desperate? You'll take the pigs, right? Jesus is, but, but they have to get the permission from Jesus. And this was what surprised the disciples when they were sent out in Luke 10, by 72. When they come back, what is one of the things that surprises them? They say, Lord, Even the demons are subject to us in your name. It says they were filled with joy. So the demons have to ask permission to do something. Right? The same was true with with Job. Right? Satan wants to take down Job. He just doesn't have endless freedom to do whatever he wants. No, he has to ask permission from the Lord. And so here's this, these demons, and they have to ask permission. They're subject. The demons are subject to Jesus. He rules over them. And then you have this demon-possessed man. I mean, think about this man for a second. Um, he's lonely. I mean, it's not like... I mean, there's people you maybe can't stand to be around, all right? Um, but this guy was in a category of his own. So he's lonely. Um, he's suffering. He's suffering gashing himself against the rocks, he's tormented by these demons, and if there's any person you'd say, no way this guy gets saved, it would have been this guy. Yet, Jesus saves him and turns him into a great witness for him. Uh, Listen to me, the power of Satan is nothing compared with the power of Jesus. It is nothing. So, so why then do we fret? Like, why do we cower? Why do we, like, shake in our, in our boots at times of demonic activity? Well, we don't have to fear Satan. We don't have to fear his minions, okay? Um, Jesus says it clearly, don't fear him who can destroy the body. Don't fear him who can destroy the body. I think he's talking in that passage specifically about mankind, but I think the application is equally as well with Satan. Why would we fear Satan. Now it says fear him who can take your soul and cast it into eternal hell forever. That's the one you want to fear. We do not need to fear Satan. Listen, we have Jesus on our side. Amen? Satan does not. End of story. So Jesus is on a rescue mission here. Notice the geography of this story. In verse 1, he's in the country of the Gerasenes. He's, he's not in Jewish territory and he anymore. Now, Jesus' primary mission when he was on the earth was the lost sheep of Israel, right? But we get glimpses throughout his earthly ministry that his ministry is, is, is much larger in scope. And this is one of these glimpses, him going into, into a non-Jewish territory with the good news. So he goes into this foreign region. It's under enemy occupation. And what does he show the region? What does he show the disciples? What what does he show Satan himself? My reign extends everywhere, okay? It's not just in Jerusalem, it's not just in uh, Judea, it's not just in Galilee, my reign extends everywhere. Uh, It extends far as the curse is found. Um, This includes your work. There's probably some cursing there. (laughs) This includes your home. This includes your neighborhood. This includes your family. Jesus is Lord of all. And I want us to understand that there is a spiritual reality. There's a physical reality, and there's a spiritual reality. We can't forget that. Um, I think we know it but I'm not sure we always know it in our heart. Here's what C.S. Lewis said in his well-known book, The Screwtape Letters. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors Inhale a materialist and a magician with the same delight. Okay, so you don't want to go to the extreme of finding a demon under every bush, um, but we want to have our eyes open, our spiritual eyes, to make sure we're seeing that there is a spiritual reality and there is a war going on—a war for your soul, for the souls of your family, for the souls of your friends, a soul for the souls of this world—and if you've been doing ministry long enough. Um, you've probably had some eye-opening experiences that leave you shaking your head. Um, We had a a gentleman come in a number of years ago. I was the only one at church and um, he came um, into the church and was looking for some um, assistance and so I was like okay what you know what do you need help with and he's like you know I'm kind of traveling from here to there and I just need some assistance so if I could get like some extra clothes. And if I could get um, some, like a backpack and some toiletries, um, and then maybe something to eat, and I was like, "Well, that's a reasonable request." And so, as we're talking, I'm like, kind of asking him, like his background and his spiritual background, and I'm just not getting a good feeling about it. It was just like an awkward thing, and I was like, maybe um, there might be some some type of demonic influence going on. So we're driving to uh, to Goodwill because that was our first stop, um, and I'm like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ask this guy what he believes about about demons. <laughs> so I'm driving. I'm like, um, what do you believe about um demon possession? I'm like, and I'm like looking at him, <laughs> and I'm and I'm I'm like like man, if he like turns and says something in some freaky voice, like <laughs> I'm in trouble here because I'm like driving. <laughs> But he, like, gave some kind of garbled answer. And um, we get to Goodwill, which um, is a story in, it, in itself. There's crazy stuff happens there. But we, we get back into the car from Goodwill. Um, and our next stop is Walmart. And so he's got, like, this bag of clothes. And um, I'm like, OK, we're going to head to Walmart and get you that backpack and some toiletries. And um, he's like, no, I don't, I don't want to go to Walmart for a backpack and toiletries. I want to go there for a bike and a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, we're in the car, and I'm like, a bike and a chainsaw? I'm like, he's like, yeah, a bike and a chainsaw. And I'm like, what do you need a chainsaw for? (laughs) And he's like, I'm going to use the bike, and I'm going to go to people's houses, and I'm going to offer to trim their trees with the chainsaw. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, well... That wasn't the original plan, okay, so let's dig let's to the original plan, and, and we're going to go to Walmart for the backpack and the toiletries. And he's like, no, I need the, the bike and the chainsaw. And I'm like, I'm not going to buy you a bike and a chainsaw. I'm like, I can't even believe I'm having this conversation. <laughs> and so he's, and he's like, no, I need the bike, and he's like, Adam, I need the bike and the chainsaw. And I'm like, well, we're not doing that. And then... <clears throat> He like, he's, you know, starts insulting me and, and calling me these different things. He ends up calling me like a computer. I'm like, a computer? I've been called many things. I've never been called a computer. And so finally, I'm just like, um, I mean, he's greatly agitated at this point. I had started to pull away. Um, he's yelling at me now. He's cussing. And I'm like, okay, you, you need to get out of my car. Um, and, then he's like, and, then he, and then it gets even worse. He, he explodes. I'm like, I'm sorry. You've, you've, you've kind of blown it here and you need to get out of my car. Because at that point, I just wasn't actually even feeling safe. So he, like, takes the bag of clothes and he, like, throws them out of the car and they, like, literally go all over the the parking lot at Goodwill. He couldn't have spread them out any better if he wanted to, because they're just everywhere. Um, And he, like, is getting out of the car. He, like, leans back into the car. The door's open. He's halfway in, halfway out. And, I mean, he's just screaming and yelling at me. And he's, like... I'm just looking like forward the whole time. I'm the, the car's running, and he's like literally like this close to my face, and I can like feel the little spittle getting on my face. It's, and I'm like thinking to myself, okay, if he like hits me, I'm like driving off. Okay, whether he's in the car, out of the car, or what, I'm am going. <clears throat> Finally, he ends up getting out of the out of the car completely. Um, I drive off. I come back here. I like lock the doors, you know, <laughs> twice. Um, so what's my point? Like, crazy stuff happens in ministry, all right? <laughs> crazy stuff. Um, we can't get caught up with the physical world so much that we forget the spiritual. I believe there's a, a spiritual issue going on. I believe that, you know, the Lord wanted me to speak truth into that situation. Um, that, that man wasn't willing um, we need to be ready to do spiritual battle when the situation arises. Okay, When is what I said. Not if, but when the situation arises. Because there are evil forces at work. Look at Ephesians. Keep your finger in Mark 5, but look at Ephesians uh, 6. I just want us to look at this one verse. Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh, and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, if you studied this, and we actually did last summer, you know that the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, this present darkness, the spiritual forces, all of those are talking about the spiritual realm, okay? Uh, The rulers and authorities are not talking about presidents or kings or monarchies or anything like that on this earth, they are all dealing with spiritual realities. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But how easily do we forget the spiritual? And why do we? Because we have a bent towards this world. It's called the fall. We're bent towards it. We're bent away from God. And we have a bent towards the goods of this world. I mean, we live in the most prosperous nation in the world, and yet we can't get enough. We always want more. We can't get enough food. We can't get enough delicacies. We need the newest this, the latest this, the 65-inch this, the 2018 that. and that's what our society gives us, and we just, I mean we just eat it up. We just eat it up. We buy right into it. And here's the thing: we might make it through a day, and we might not even think about the gospel. We might make it through a day and, and not think about Jesus. Well, that's losing sight of the spiritual reality. That's losing sight of things above, as Colossians talks about. And here's the thing. The more spiritually mature I get, the more I realize I really don't need to have quiet times as often. Just wanted to make sure you were listening. (laughs) because the more spiritually mature I've gotten, I've realized I need to be in the Word much, much, much more. Okay, so as I've grown, I've actually seen how much more I need the Word. As I've grown, I realize how much more I need to be in prayer. And, and if you're a believer, you are a fool. You're a fool if you think you can get away without being in the word on a regular basis. And I say that because you have been fooled by yourself, by the world, by Satan, to think that, that you can get away from this for any length of time. Man does not live on bread alone. He does not live on bread alone. So, you know, we need to take our quiet times, our times with the Lord when we're spending with him, when we're in the word and when we're praying, um, and we need, to take them, uh, we need to take them with us. You know, Jim Baker, famous televangelist a number of years ago, fell into major sin, uh, went to prison because of it. You know, they interviewed him, and, and he, every single day, was spending four to five hours in the word and prayer. You're like, how could a guy spending four to five hours in the Word and prayer end up in such horrible, immoral sin? Was well, because it's because when he when he closed his Bible after those four or five hours, and he walked out the door of his prayer closet, he didn't take it with him. Okay, he had all this stuff, but not much here. Okay, it wasn't it wasn't infiltrating into the depths of where it needed to go into the depths of his soul. So he was reading and studying. He wasn't taking it with him. And, and when you close your Bible, you have to take Jesus with you. I mean, he is with you. But you have to take him with you. And he, he doesn't just stay in that Bible locked away. Though we treat him like that sometimes. That's how we, we act like in practice. Why? Because we're so focused on the physical and we forget the spiritual reality of things. We've got to take Jesus with us. I mean, it is an amazing and a sweet thing when you really think about it for a second that, that Jesus, King Jesus, you can commune with at any time. You do not have to enter a church building. You do not have to enter your prayer closet. You do not have to be by yourself. You can be in the toughest of circumstances, the worst of circumstances. You can be in a really boring class at college. You can commune with Jesus anywhere. What a, I mean, what a privilege, right? To commune with him. You can do that. So I encourage us to take advantage of that. What do we need to do? I mean, we need to go to Jesus. I'm talking about, I'm talking about believers here. I mean, with our issues, with our hurts, with our feelings, with our shortcomings... Go to Jesus. I mean, I know it's cliche, uh, and it seems easy, but then why don't we do it? Serious, why don't we do it? When children need something, what do they do? They usually whine, right? (laughs) But they go to their parents for help. And when students need something, what do they do? They cheat. No. (laughs) They go to their teacher. You go to the one that can do something about it. You go to the one who can do something about it. So, go to Jesus, okay? Listen, if Jesus can handle the legion, he can handle your problems. If Jesus can handle the legion, he can heal your hurts. If Jesus can handle the legion, he can redeem your marriage. If if Jesus can handle the legion, he can redeem your life. If he can handle the legion, he can transform your kids. It's true. If he can handle the legion, he can save your family and friends. Listen, transformation is possible through the work of Jesus. And person after person after person after person after person, on and on and on and on and on, Uh, with this struggle or that struggle, finds victory in Jesus. That's where it lays, in Jesus. And here's the thing people don't like. When Jesus comes into your life, right, if you're a believer, he's in your life. But Jesus demands, he demands, he demands, okay? He demands change. And it can be costly. He changed the landscape in the country of the Gerasenes, right? The, the 2,000 less pigs. The, the swine market dried up real quick. Where would those swine end up? Hog heaven, I don't know. <clears throat> but the people didn't like it. They didn't like the change. And if you go to Jesus, um, you need to have a willingness to let him make the changes that he wants to make. And here's my question. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want healing? How bad do you want transformation? How bad do you want the lost saved? Because I want you to look back at the text in Mark, and I want you to notice something. It's very important. You could miss it, Quite easily, but I want you to notice here. And Mark, I want you to first look at verse ten. It says, "And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country." Uh, the NAS says, "Implore." It's going to say it all four times. Look to verse twelve. And they begged him, saying, "Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them." Then look at verse seventeen. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And then look at verse 18. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. It's the same Greek word in each instance. There's a whole lot of begging going on here. The idea is, is to ask for uh, to urge, to call someone for aid, to beseech, to entreat. And all these groups, they're all begging Jesus for something. They're begging him. But, but how about us? I mean, seriously, think about it. In your own prayer life, you can just answer this to yourself, but in your own prayer life, um, have you ever really begged Jesus for something? Because I think a lot of times I'm very guilty of it too. Our prayers can be rather flippant, you know. Lord, um, just you know, save my kids, Lord, and save my aunt, Lord. Say, okay, that's good. I need to pray for the lost, right? But but there is an earnestness, guys. There's an earnestness with the demons. They're begging Jesus. They really want something, and we won't even come sometimes before God and beg him for things that we really want. My question is, how bad do we really want it? If we're really not willing to humble ourselves and come after God and beseech him for it, then why would we think he's going to grant that thing? Because we're just flipping about it. It doesn't really really care. Do we really care about it if we're not going to get serious and really seek him on that? Is praying, you know, once a week for something, is that really enough? Are we supposed to... Be like that widow who was knocking on that judge's door time and time and time and finally. I'm so bugged out of my mind by this widow, I'm going to give her what she wants in the parable. Well, what about us? Do we ever beg God for anything? Are we ever willing to come to a place where we humble ourselves? It's humbling to beg. It's humbling. It's very humbling to have to beg for something. But guess what? God opposes the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. And some of us say we have family that we want saved, and some of us say we have friends that we want saved, and some of us say we want God to do something in our life to remove something or to add something, but we hardly even ever pray about it. Like, how serious are we? That's my question. So here we have instances over and over and over, just in one chapter of people begging Jesus for something. What about us? Will we beg Jesus for things that are dear to his heart? Will we do that? Will we humble ourselves? Will we beseech him? Will we entreat him over and over and over? Will we cling to his garment and not let go until we get the answer? Because many people try to, try to go down a path, and I tell people this when I'm counseling them, look, you are going to encounter painful, challenging, tough times, and you are going to be tempted to turn back and not go through this healing process. Okay? And, and, and some people do. Why? Because you get to that point, and it's like Jesus has to do his work. The great physician has to get out the spiritual scalpel and do some cutting, and we don't like that, and that looks scary. All right, there's a reason when you get a real surgery, a physical surgery, they like put the mask on you and knock you out, right? You couldn't make it without that. They'd have to restrain you. There's really no mask to put on when it comes to Jesus doing his work. We will experience the pain. We will feel the cutting. It is not pleasant at the time. No discipline is. But that's what it takes if we want transformation. That's what it takes if we want healing. That's what it takes if we want his touch on our lives. That's what it takes if we want to see him do something through us an earnestness to it, a beseeching. So, listen, uh, you know, Satan. Satan's got nothing on Jesus, all right? So Jesus is king, King Jesus, all right? Now, Satan's doing his thing on this earth, wreaking havoc. I get that. But it's not like, you know, it's not like Jesus' hands are tied, right? I mean, he's just as active today as he was back then, if not more so. Okay, he's active. But some of us are inactive. Some of us are asleep. And there is a spiritual war, and you've got to wake up to it. And there is a walk with the Lord that you have, and you need to walk into it. Okay, there's a transformation that he wants to do, and you need to be transformed by it. And so we're going to pray in a couple minutes here. And listen, I want us to go before the Lord and really intercede. I want us to go before the Lord and really beseech him for a work in our lives, for a work in this church's life, for a work in people's, uh, outside this church that we know. And God wants to know, do we really want it? Because, because many of us have been flippant about it. We've been flippant about our prayer lives. Okay, You ask for little, you get little. You ask for a lot, you get a lot, right? I want, you know, to drink from the cup that overflows, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm holding out a cup, right? And do I, do I want, do I want the Father to pour just, a, you know, a couple drops in there? Uh, you know, pour a little tiny cup. I mean, I, I want it, I want it filled all the way and overflowing. But we have to be willing to go there. We have to be willing to be open. We have to be willing to seek the Lord. And it comes through it comes through the word. It comes through getting into our closet when we don't want to. You know the other day, it's kind of sad, but that's where I was at that day. I had to set the the, the timer on my iPhone because I'm like, I'm I'm praying until I hear this timer go off. Because if, if I don't, I'm gonna be in here a lot less time. And I knew that I needed to be in prayer. So I'm like, until I hear that timer, I'm not coming out of this closet. But why? Why? Because I, part of me didn't, but part of me wanted to be in there. Part of me was like, I will be in this room with the Lord, beseeching him. So I did that. Guess what? We need to get into the prayer closets to beseech him. And yeah, it's not always fun. It's not always easy. But if you can get into your prayer closet, if you can really pray, and guess what, guys? It takes more than just five or ten minutes. It probably takes that just to get to the place where you can pray, if you know what I mean. There is a sweet communion that you can have with the Lord. It's available to you. It is a precious thing. And I encourage you, to pray, to really pray, to pray until you pray. Lord, forgive us our pathetic prayer lives, forgive us for being outdone by demons in a town of people who didn't want anything to do with you. Lord, we beg you for your mercy, even as justice read from Romans. Verses we hear so many times, we just let it eh, in one ear, out the other. But you showed your love to us. In our fallen state, in our sinfulness, in our rebellion, in our deserving of wrath... You demonstrated your own love to us by sending your son for us. You healed the biggest hurt, so to speak. You brought us back to you. But Lord, we still have other hurts. We still have... Things in our life, Lord, that you need to deal with. Anger. Bitterness. Malice. I'm actually going to read from, from Mark 7, because I just want you guys to listen with your eyes closed what Jesus says. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, Jesus says, and they defile a person. And Lord, we are guilty of all those things in one form or another. And we repent. We ask for your forgiveness. And we confess that we need you. We need you daily, even if we don't act like it, even if we don't seem like it. We need you daily. So, Lord, I pray for, for me, I pray for my family, I pray for my church that we would get in your word, that we would be about prayer, an earnest prayer, not a flippant prayer, and that we would wake up, God, to the reality of you. of the spiritual world, of the spiritual war going on, for the souls of our friends, God, for the souls of our family, man. People are going to hell. Lord, we ask you to save them. I ask you to save my neighbor Joe and his wife Kate, their family, God. Continue to use me, Lord, to offer the hope of the gospel, to be a friend, to invite them to church but I want to see him save God, so I ask that you'd save him. Save him, Lord. Show him the hope of the gospel. I pray for the same Lord for my cousin Rachel and her husband Patrick, Lord, and and her illness, Lord, that she's been diagnosed with, God. Let her not um, become embittered, God, but use this to draw her to you. Save that family, Lord. Lord, let us continue to be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. We want to be your witnesses, God, to who you are and what you're doing. And have your way with us, God, as a congregation, as a church, Lord. Have your way with us, Lord. Let us be the moldable clay on the potter's wheel. Mold us, Lord, we ask. We ask that you would do this through the authority that we have in your son, Jesus. Amen.